I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm in Copenhagen uh, with uh, my old friend, Nikolai Niholm, who's the uh, founder of Refresh Entertainment. Uh, I realize it's, it's actually been almost 10 years <laughs> since we That's last caught up. And of course, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, Nikolai is a, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, you were doing location-based technology even before an iPhones were around. <laughs> and uh, the last time I saw you, you had started an image and uh, uh, pattern recognition company, uh, Polar Rose. Correct. Yeah. Right. So actually, uh, doing doing a lot of the the AI that uh, and machine learning that you're doing now, that you're looking <laughs> into now. Back then, we just didn't know that that's how we we're supposed to have been branding it. Well, you were way ahead of your time because that was around when I saw you it was around 2007, 2008. So, I mean, the idea of smartphones itself was was actually a relatively new concept. Yeah, that's true, and I think uh, I, I do actually think that that smartphones is is what gave us our second wind in in Polar Rose. Um, doing image and face recognition on the phones uh, ended up being uh, the business that was also sold. And, and of course, that, that ended up being the, the fundamental basis for, as you said, a lot of machine learning today. I mean, that's where it all started was the, the recognition and identification of imagery. Yes. But you're doing something else and very different today. <laughs> Entirely different. Yeah, I, I, took, uh, I, took, the jump, uh, I took the jump off uh, onto the investor side for period about six, six and a half years. And, and during that time, um, I was very focused around gaming. Because you were bored of the investment side? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> maybe because it was the most exciting thing I could do within, uh, within investing. Um, yeah, ex- ex- I mean, I, I think I'd always, I'd never done a company within gaming. I'd always been fascinated about it. I always wanted to do it. Um, yeah. I did play quite a lot of games. When you were involved younger. with Minecraft a little bit as well, right? Yes. So actually, that was the very first gaming investment I ever looked at in the spring of 2010. Um, I, uh, I met Marcus Pearson uh, Notch uh, up in Stockholm. Um, and, uh, you know, just absolutely amazing fantastic guy who'd done this weird awkward game that I could never convince my partnership to invest in you know the the graphics sucked the colors weren't screen safe um, the game was written in Java of right. all things you know it's there's no easy elevator pitch for it no absolutely and uh, everything seemed wrong about that game uh, and yet you know it's it's the game which has changed um, so many lives and so many things and so many perspectives including uh, it was actually Minecraft that made me finally understand what esports was about, which is where I am now. Right. Um, because the early days of, of Minecraft uh, saw a lot of, uh, of success coming from YouTube. Uh, Minecraft was very difficult to, it was and is difficult to get started with, so people had to go and, and look for solutions. Was elsewhere. that a, did you get the sense that was an intentional design feature? No, it was unintended, uh, but it was unintended brilliance. Right, because um, it became a secret knowledge among kids, right, that they would share, but also would seek out on YouTube and other platforms. Yeah, exactly. And once they had found out that they could see what other kids were doing on YouTube or other adults were doing on YouTube, they would start sharing themselves. So, you know, with Minecraft, a lot of the early success was, uh, was really driven by all these videos on YouTube. 
And then sometime, I'm, I clearly remember the conversation um, early, mid-2012. Um, Had you invested personally? In no, I, I, I became an advisor to the three founders. Right. Um, uh, so Carl, uh, uh, Jakob, and Marcus. Um, and I was with them through, through the sales uh, to Microsoft. Um, so I got a lot of, uh, and it sort of was my fire baptism into the gaming world. Right. Um, and that specific conversation was one where we, uh, where we were looking at the, the numbers of, of, of YouTube, and we suddenly realized that, you know what, YouTube wasn't driving Minecraft any longer. Minecraft was driving YouTube. Right. And that's how I understood how entertainment, uh, sorry, how gaming could be entertainment outside you just sitting there and playing. And I think the rest of the world really took notice when Amazon bought Twitch. Yes. You know, for a billion dollars, because you know, for a lot of people, this came out of nowhere because they they hadn't been aware like you that such a huge volume of of, of traffic was actually being generated by people counterintuitively watching other people play games. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And 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 that's you know, and and watching it as entertainment. And and I think that you know, I think there's still a lot of people who you know, you tell them esports, and they're like, what? And you know, they're not running around. There's no exercise, or you know, all these things. But you know, if you then flip it around and say, well, it's entertainment. Um, the same way that, you know, you sit in the stadium or behind a TV screen and, and watch somebody else exercising. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really the same perspective here. And, and it is fantastic entertainment. How, how big is the audience for this sort of stuff now? I mean, on, on Twitch and on YouTube, how many people are watching Gaming. Well, the, the numbers vary, uh, but I think, you know, sort of on a consistent basis, you can, you can say 350 to 450 million on a, on a global, um, globally. And so any one time, like one of the big esports competitions, how many people would be tuning in? Is it Super Bowl type? Yeah, so, so if we take, for example, um, so we're sitting right now in, 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 the, in the room where the Astralis players, uh, which is currently the world's best Counter-Strike team uh, where they train. And uh, when they won the last major, which uh, TBS uh, E-League was broadcasting in uh, end of January, running and broadcasting in the January, they had a total viewership of about uh, 9 million people. I think uh, 42 million hours of video was consumed on Twitch uh, during that tournament. Wow. So I can see, I mean, because Australis made headlines recently because Audi took a big sponsorship position. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was one of the first, you know, times you had a, a very traditional brand backing esports. Yes. But with those sort of numbers, you can start to see because if, if Audi and other brands are trying to reach that kind of 18 to 35 young demographic, this is where their attention is. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, traditional sports um, are certainly losing out on on the viewership uh, side. If you look at football within Europe, you know there are only a couple of leagues that can sort of maintain a stable viewership. That's uh, the Premiership League, La Liga in in uh, in Spain, uh, and the Bundesliga in, um, in in Germany. Everybody else is is dipping. Uh, the Danish uh, football league lost thirty percent year over year viewership. And it's because people are, you know, obviously they're canceling their um, their TV subscriptions, but they're also showing up less and less in, in the stadiums. Um, and at the same time, there's been this, you know, subculture, but massive subculture, who've been watching other people play games <laughs> on Twitch, on YouTube. Um, and the brands are suddenly realizing that there is, is, is such a 
that it is such a powerful medium because it's also inherently social uh, in a way that a TV screen is not. Right. So I think I think those are um, it's 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 taken a time to for you know for them to to realize it and and understand that this is a, a very powerful demographic and it's actually you know a little bit surprising even to us is it's an older demographic than than uh, than we thought the the number of thirty to forty year olds is is quite significant because these are people like myself well I'm a little bit more than the forty now but uh, uh, who once upon a time played games right. We're not very good is, at it this anymore. This is the frustrated uh, generation, ex Atari generation. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, we we we, we Who might, saw Star Wars in the cinemas. We might be able to beat <laughs> our kids in, in Frogger or something like that, but you know, anything that came beyond that, we. So can't it's actually really. a kind of. I mean, it, it, it's the it's it's the Ready uh, Player. Um, it, it's the Ready Player uh, kind of nostalgia around video games. Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. Ready Player and, One, and, yeah. And we're not very good at it. We don't have the time to be good at it. We don't have the time to, to play. So we start, you know, we start watching uh, Twitch. We start watching Counter-Strike games and, and so <laughs> forth, you know. Friday evening, we'll put on, uh, together with my boys, I'll, I'll put on a Counter-Strike match. So, I, I mean, I was amazed that a lot of the new money that's flowing in behind these teams is actually coming from traditional sports and sporting VIPs, everyone from mm. NBA mm. to uh, kind of English Premier League. Sure, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of the uh, top five, six teams in the world is is actually owned by the top Danish football club. Really? Uh, North, um, so yeah. They, so they, it, for them, it's just a hedge against declining viewership on, on, on their side? Well, I don't want to... I don't want to speak on their behalf, but that's clearly how I see it from from the outside. That right. they uh, that they need to, you know, if they're losing thirty percent viewership year over year, they're suddenly going to be standing with uh, some empty coffers, uh, and and they need to be able to address this generation, uh, this younger generation, with uh, with uh, through other uh, channels. Is there is there still a star system? I mean, is there a Ronaldo of esports? There are certain. It's. It, I actually. I think it's. It's. Uh, it's almost um, as the polarity between the good and the bad teams is actually almost as as big as as that. Um, you are sitting. Well, I'm sitting actually in front of uh, Device's desk and his computer, and he's he's probably the the, the third most popular player in the world. Um, it's not quite Ronaldo um, uh, levels, but you cannot walk down the street with him in Copenhagen uh, without a lot of kids and boys and even uh, men or and girls uh, looking at him and, and going after him. So yeah, it's, it's coming. Right. Um, so Refresh, I mean, you're, I guess, one of these new generation um, management companies. So what, what is it that you do in, I guess, in this ecosystem that's to support these player-owned teams? So I think the, the, the first thing is exactly as you say, it's, uh, you know, we're working with player-owned or player-co-owned um, right. teams. Um, we are uh, financing their operations, uh, meaning, you know, base salaries, uh, the management and coach around them. Um, the facilities we're sitting in here now, we're sitting in a um, 600 square meter, 6,000 square foot um, floor in, in Copenhagen in, in, uh, in, in the, old, uh, uh, the old facilities that the, that the, the Danish um, DSB, the, the uh, rail service, uh, are, we're using to repair the trains. 
Um, You're underselling it. This is like gamer heaven, you know, co-located with a low latency uh, fiber link. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so we're we're providing that, and then and and as as a as a as a bare minimum, and on top of that, we're starting to you know just doing professionalizing uh, the sport in a way um, that has not really been seen before. You know, most of these pro teams have less discipline than my 10-year-old's uh, football team because they this is something which grew up by itself from yeah. within there weren't anybody there wasn't anybody older to help guide them along tell them how to you know build a team communicate work together they had to figure everything out themselves but which also means that that there's you know, uh, and, and this extreme lack of structure. And they weren't always physically co-located next to each other either, right? No, very seldomly, you know, uh, very seldomly did they have the opportunity. They would meet in, you know, for the land parties um, a couple times a year. And you know, even within the land parties, they would often be swapping team members and so forth. Oh, that, you know, that guy Mike over there, he's a fantastic player. Let's bring him on to the team. And, you know, Nikolai, he's not very good, so we'll kick him out. And, and, and I think that's, you know, so it all evolved that it was a hobby and now suddenly there's big money involved. But it also means that, that you know, if, if um, you can't just treat it as a hobby anymore, um, you have to treat it as, as being pro athletes. And, and I think that's the first, that's the first thing where we, where we ask our players to put their hands on the frying pan and jump on the train. Do they want to be pro athletes? Right. Um, and... Um, Introducing a sports psychologist has, has really been uh, a key element of that. Giving the coaches authority, um, introducing nutritionists. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna peak way too early if you're drinking Red Bull during a match, uh, a match which might be three hours, five hours long, where you have to keep you have to concentrate every bloody second. It's not like football where the ball's on the other side of the court and you can. Relax for a little bit. You have to, you know, there's going to be somebody who's going to come from behind your back. Um, Can't you just hook these guys to, up to a high nutrient IV drip? Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe something like that. And, 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 you know, but just basically having them uh, drink water or coconut water instead of uh, Red Bull and, and, and Pepsi Max. Well, uh, what, did, what did the sports psychologist end up doing with the team? I mean, how, how do you sort of, you know what? What's the art of prepping your mind to be in the state to, to succeed in that kind of? Mm. I think the I think the first and and, uh, and and foremost the core thing is really making them understand that they're pro athletes right. and you know that it, that this is not going to come just by playing. It's not going to come by its by its own. Um, um, building up you know mental resilience also so that that you know um, as so they don't tilt as they call it themselves. Uh, Making certain that um, what's what's tilting? Tilting is uh, is uh, well, I guess it's back from uh, from, uh, from from the, pinball from pinball. Yeah, but you know that, that you you know you you sort of crash out um, right. and and you don't you don't play well. Um, uh, but the, the you know Counter Strike, which is the only game we focus on, is a team of five. Um, there's typically an in-game leader who. Uh, who both, um, he, he, he puts up the tactics, uh, he has to play his own game, he has to handle communication between the players, you know, I'm over on the B-bomb site, uh, I see somebody peeking, I see, some, I see the other team rushing that uh, site, I need to communicate that to my fellow players. Right. And based on that, the in-game leader needs to decide on what calls to, so he's essentially the quarterback. Right. Uh, but he needs to play his own game at the same time, and he needs to think three or four steps ahead uh, based on well, if um, 
uh, if you're in the in-game leader and I die, you need to reposition the team on this map as to best defend it or best attack it. It's like kind of gridiron meets capture the flag. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty pretty concise uh, description. Um, mm. And and I think that, that you know so so getting getting the players into this uh, this mind and and you know this Astralis was famous. They were even called Choke Astralis at one point hmm. by the by the by the fans on Reddit and Twitter uh, because they would never get further than the semifinals or quarterfinals. And you know just getting them through that, getting them through that resilience, getting the respect uh, amongst the well first the understanding and subsequently. The, uh, the respect among us, the team members, uh, in that you know we're all different human beings. How do we communicate? What happens there? Um, just I think it's stuff which is probably not very uncommon in, in other sports, but but given the fact that they've learned all these other habits, they have to unlearn them uh, uh, afterwards. So yeah. yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I uh, many years ago, a friend of mine was. Um, He'd been on the Australian um, sports team for the swimming team for the Olympics. Mm. And when he finished, uh, there was a, a high-powered finance firm that it sort of had gone out and were actively trying to recruit extreme athletes because they thought the mind state that they would have would be particularly appropriate for high-pressure finance. And uh, it's it sort of, you know, years later, I read a quote by John Silly Brown saying he would rather hire a, a successful World of Warcraft player than a Harvard MBA. You know, yeah. because they had sort of the next generation skills of coordination and communication. So, so do you see something similar, that the, the kind of skills that are being developed by these kids um, to play competitively is something that will translate well into the 21st century? I certainly do. I mean, you know, you, you, you learn some social and some communication skills, which are, you know, I think our generation never got. Right. Um, Not just trash talking when you're... <laughs> no, when you're, exactly. When I, you're I shooting mean, down some enemies. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I certainly... Uh, um, uh, I, I certainly have a lot of respect for, uh, for for these players and what they have to go. It's it's not just a concentration over these five hours, but you know my fourteen year old sits at home and is communicating with mostly other Danish uh, uh, players. He also has to he also has to play against toxic uh, uh, Russian players. You know who will <laughs> will, will trash talk like like there's no tomorrow. Um, um, but but. Uh, uh, but they, you know, it is a multi-dimensional game of chess. I would say that's that's very much how Counter Strike is, and and at the same time, it's also a social thing. It's like, you know, um, they're fortunate now to have like physical facilities here. But um, um, well, I noticed your kids when I walked in. There was, I think they're ten and fourteen, right? Yeah. So the the ten. I was more worried when I first saw them because I didn't realize your kids. I thought, my gosh, these. Uh, <laughs> Counter Strike players, you're really getting, getting younger young. and younger. It's like, a, really it's like the to... Russian training facility, you know, for children. Absolutely, absolutely. And when they're when they're not there, they're not doing that. They're uh, they're gold mining on uh, on Bitcoin. So yeah, no, it's but but you know the, the fact that you know he he comes in with three or four kids. Um, they uh, they play together. They have an amazing social interaction. Uh, uh, they laugh. They scream. They they shout. Um, um, my, my, but my 14-year-old who has who's doing this, and, and that is so forgiving. That means that I forgive the fact that he's spending time behind the screen. Right. He's doing the same kind of stuff that he would be doing in a schoolyard or a football field or something like that. Um, while my 14-year-old who never had these facilities, he comes here in the weekends when I'm not here. 
but he, uh, he will be playing mostly behind a closed door in his bedroom. Because that's the way he's grown up doing it. That's the way he's grown up, and that's the way that, 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 uh, that most players still do today. And, and then it becomes, as a, as a parent, you become a little bit anxious about it. What is he actually doing in there? Um, but this is, of course, also how that subculture has, has, has developed. Um, but I think, I think that, that, you know, this is about, in Denmark, we have a very strong tradition of uh, sports associations. Well, I guess most of, the, most of the globe does. But the sports associations, getting them into, uh, into this game, I think is going to be an incredibly valuable thing. They can both teach them stuff like teamwork, communication, discipline. Uh, but they can also create a social setting around it, which uh, uh, where the kids learn that there's also more to it than, than you know, staring and, and trying to hit a target with a rifle. Um, uh, that there's more to the game than, than that. So I, I hope that we're going to be seeing more of that. Do, do, do you see a, a divergence in cultural values around gaming in the East versus West? I mean, years ago, uh, before it was popular here, I, 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 StarCraft and all these games in South Korea and China, I visited all these cyber cafes, and it was a, it was a very distinct culture around gaming. Which, uh, I think there is uh, much less of a stigma about it in Eastern culture than right. there is here. Um, um, you know, I, I mean, in South Korea, these guys are rock stars. Aren't yeah, they? absolutely. And I think, I think actually the government, uh, the reason why esports was, was such a, uh, became such a big thing in Korea so fast was that the government was actually, you know, post the last crash, were promoting uh, uh, the, the, um, the cyber cafes, internet cafes, uh, esports or game cafes uh, in order to get the kids off the streets. Right. And that's what sort of, and that combined with a fantastic infrastructure is what, what promoted uh, uh, esports you know, e to, to, and, and gave it uh, grounds to grow. I think this is also why we see per capita the highest number of uh, esports stars in Denmark and Sweden because we were quite early in building the, uh, the infrastructure, meaning the, uh, the fiber and the ADSL lines and so forth, to let, uh, um, uh, to let the kids play. Well, in the U.S., you can't, you know, an East Coast team can't play a West Coast team because the latency uh, on, on the connection is, is too high. Well, what often happens to these kids? I mean, do they play for a while as professionals and then go do something else? Or? Well, until recently, there wasn't enough money in it, right. meaning that everybody left. They got an education um, and... Um, uh, you know, and then a newer generation grew up um, uh, underneath them. But part of our aim is that, you know, Australis can play together for the next 10 years, 15 years. They're between 20 and 24. Right. And we don't see why they shouldn't actually be getting better uh, as long as we can avoid There isn't the sort of a, an entry period where you're kind of reflexes or you're... I don't believe that. I think we can, I think we can solve that through physiotherapy, um, through shiatsu, through stuff like that. I think actually we can basically, uh, we're <laughs> going to be measuring actually how much throughput um, you can, uh, we can, we can get, uh, we can get through the spine. Um, in, in, <laughs> I, I think, I think stuff like that, I mean, it maybe sounds a little bit extreme, but, right. but I, but I think, I think part of our important job is to make these guys perform on a high level for a very long time. Well, the, 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 data, the data piece is, is fascinating because, I mean, if you're in a position to not only coach these teams but start to monitor all of their, um, their, their essentially their, their bio data mm. about how they mm. interact, how they respond, um, it's going to be quite incredible.
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I would love a lot more markers uh, based on you know performance. I would love to take uh, you know consistently take blood tests of them also to mm. figure out what you know is, is there is there something happening. So uh, be interesting. If, I mean, they're already now using um, genetics to pre-screen who's got fast twitch muscles and. You know, for training, it'd be interesting whether ultimately some people are more genetically predisposed to be better yeah, we're, Overwatch players we're gonna, than we're others. Gonna be, we're going to be breed. Actually, that's what you see in there. We're breeding new players. We're not. We're we're at an even younger age than ten. No, just kidding. So a lot. There's, there's steps being taken to professionalize esports now. I I, um, mm. I was reading recently that um, Blizzard have, have set up like a Overwatch um, tournament now. Yeah. And, uh, creating something with sort. of definite rules around country of origin and how you organize i mean is this uh, do you think we'll get to this point where we'll be so accepted you'd see it at the olympics i think we will i think we will because the olympics wants to see it um i just don't because they're worried as well that greco-roman wrestling is not going to appeal to the next generation yeah exactly or darts or whatever curling actually (laughs) curling which has made it on um i think as long as it's entertainment it's legitimate i i do think however that the structure um the structure of the olympics or the structure of an uefa or fifa is very hard to to pull down over the years of this industry. So I'm not certain they're going to succeed. Uh, Alibaba uh, actually already has, in as part of their Ali Sports division, they've set up something, uh, World Esports Games, you know, where they're trying to make it into a, sort of a, a, a national uh, or competition between nations. Right. Um, and it's not really, it, it, it doesn't really resonate with the, at least with the core community, maybe they can get the the mainstream uh, audience. Well, why is that? Is it sort of a World Series of China? Well, it it sort of means that the that's that you know that one of our teams here, it's four Danes and Swede, that they're not going to be competing um, because it's not a national team. They're huh. not, and 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 I think also it's a little bit along the lines that um, there isn't yet the national pride around it. Hmm. Um, I think I think I think uh, you, you take the Spanish national team in football. It's it's mainly Barcelona, and then mixed with some Real Madrid and maybe a couple other players. But Barcelona, the team Barcelona, would still probably be able to beat the Spanish national team. Yeah. So the the, the na- there's no na- real national allegiance yet in in uh, in esports. So I think. I think that's you have to get, at least get the mainstream acceptance and recognition before you can do something like that. Before you can start splitting teams into nations. So, if you're a brand that that's sort of seen the example of Audi and some of these other companies now, um, and you want to be able to uh, start to influence this segment, what do you do? I, I mean. In the past, you could sponsor T-shirts that people were wearing when they were live streaming on Twitch. But how how are we going to get more sophisticated around creating inventory for brands? I think the um, you know I think most of what we I, I I personally think it's one of the most and and if I look at the numbers which we haven't quite released yet, um, uh, but that we're we're uh, that Nielsen Sports is, is now reviewing and assessing the the value of that campaign. I think it will come. And, and show it's one of the most successful campaigns Audi has ever done right. in in reach, and that's of course you know pure reach. Uh, um, what was the creative it, beyond the T-shirts? Um, so the creative was was uh, was first of all teasing out the fact that that this campaign was happening, and it ended up with uh, it was specifically for the launch of their 
of, of one of their new uh, uh, urban SUVs. Mm. Um, and they were running an un- untaggable, untaggable campaign. Um, and so the, the, uh, the, the, the final piece was, uh, was a video uh, with Astralis and with, uh, with Audi uh, content. Uh, making it uh, making it out there. It was a very specific and, and it was a campaign oriented. I think some of the other um, uh, I think some of the other uh, um, brands that we're going to be seeing in the near months are, for example, hydration drinks that go in and start working um, with us around a, for example, a performance series, hmm. uh, a performance video series, or. Um, um, uh, sports clothes made specifically for gamers. You know, we um, we thought we'd done a, a pretty good job in, in getting. Uh, I was just thinking about that for a second. I was just terrified you're going to talk about like you know hidden bottles. You don't have to actually run to the bathroom. No, 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 no absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. No, no. Just, just you, you know that the the thing is that many of the of the esports teams now they play in jerseys which are akin to a football jersey or right. something like that, and it's just it's silly. You know, they're not. You know they are sweating, but it's you know often they're in a little bit too. It's a different situation, and they're sweating because they're mentally sweating. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it's. it's um, I think that's the. Uh, it, this is also a generation that calls bullshit so fast. So it has to be authentic. It has to be real, and it has to be something uh, uh, which the the players and the fans can uh, can associate with. I think a, most of it's going to come out of the video content. Right. And that's still very much an evolving thing, isn't it? I mean, you, 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 you've got stars on, on some of these streaming platforms. Sure. Um, I think, I mean, Twitch is, is obviously the, uh, uh, the elephant in the room. Mm. Um, I think they're doing a great job. Uh, but I, I'm also super excited of what we're seeing uh, on YouTube gaming and on Facebook Live. I think Facebook, uh, Facebook has realized that this is some of the most engaging uh, um, content. Right. And, and they're trying to diverse away from instant games into in these sort of you know bigger format absolutely yeah absolutely and 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 I think uh, so I think I think you know when people first start, started seeing we've only seen it on Facebook the last couple of months but once uh, and when and initially they weren't really having a lot of traction but now they're actually you know they're they're reaching thirds to fifty percent of the uh, if you have two simultaneous streams going out on twitch and going out on Facebook they're reaching thirty to fifty percent on Facebook, so I think I think Facebook's going to be doing a good job. Um, they're going to need to buy up the content, so is YouTube. Uh, uh, Twitch might have a slightly have an edge there, but they're also going to have to start uh, um, uh, ponying up for that. Um, and then I'm also quite excited with how non-traditional uh, OTTs like a Vodafone, a BT. Um, or the betting sites are starting to to also uh, use content to enable their business. Well, Nikolai, it's been fascinating uh, hearing all about esports and catching up with you again. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for coming to Copenhagen. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between world.